Hi there, and welcome back to the Live My Podcast. One of the most important issues coming down from the NCAA is the academic revenue distribution process. We've had a chance to get the viewpoint from the NCAA on educational matters, but today we are extremely fortunate to have with us the president of Ford Progress Athletics Consulting and my friend, John Shippey. John, welcome to the podcast, and if you would, please introduce yourself to our listeners. Thanks for having me, Wes. It's, it's great to be here. Uh, as Wes said, I'm, I'm uh, John Shipke, Forward Progress uh, President. And uh, prior to, to starting Forward Progress, uh, five years ago, which is hard to believe it's been five years, I, I was uh, Director of Academic and Membership Affairs at the NCA National Office, uh, overseeing various parts of the academic performance program, including uh, APR data reviews, APR penalties and waivers, and data collection generally. So it's great to be here, Wes. I enjoy uh, listening to the podcast, so I'm happy to uh, be on the other end of it this time. So for our membership, when we get into the process of the you know, the academic revenue distribution process and with the work that you do, could you expand a little bit on your background? Yeah, so I, uh, like I mentioned, I left uh, the NCA five years ago to start up Board Progress, and uh, the, really the reason for doing it, was was I had been there at the national office and seen a lot of schools struggling to navigate the APP process, whether that was uh, they were chosen for a data review and they were struggling with it, or they were finding themselves close to the uh, 930 APR penalty benchmarks um, and really had not taken advantage of all the, the avenues the NCA offers uh, to, to go through those processes. I saw a, a need, and so I started the company up. And uh, since then, what we've uh, focused on really, we're still the only um, company focused entirely on academic consulting. And what we do is the tough schools navigate. So for the first few years of, of the company's uh, existence, we are helping schools navigate, usually avoiding the, uh, the 930 benchmarks, uh, going through an APR data review, uh, filing APR adjustments, and we still do that. Over the last year and a half, two years now as the NCAA has rolled out the uh, revenue distribution program, which we'll spend some time talking about today. Uh, our focus has shifted somewhat to trying to help schools not just avoid low numbers and penalties and, you know, postseason ban and so on, but also to try to hit these high numbers the NCA has put out for benchmarks. So we, uh, as a company, have uh, four full-time folks who, who work and help schools uh, uh, navigate these various NCA processes as well for progress, the other half of our business is we do student-athlete development and leadership, uh, which is something that I don't necessarily touch, uh, but something that for progress offers as well. And so, John, the intent for our podcast when we created this, the whole idea was to really get out in front of the membership, especially for those who don't have a, a large travel budget to be able to get across the country and do professional development. So I'm excited that a lot of our, our new members and, and membership uh, can get this podcast and can take the content and use it to the best of their ability. So I'm a new academic coordinator. I'm hearing about forward progress. I'm really excited about it. I want to go tell my boss this is something we should look into. What does forward progress do? Sure. So, um, and I can tell you, I, I do have the travel budget. I've been, I was just calculating how many times, how much time I've been on the road this year and, and through the end of June, it was 51 days, um, on the road, uh, visiting various campuses. And so what we do West is a number of different things. But really when it comes to revenue distribution, that's been a lot of our focus lately. We're going to do kind of three different things for a school that we might work with. One is we're going to look back. 
So we're going to look at the data over the last several years that's been submitted by the school, whether it's APR data or the grad rate data, and make sure that everything that has been submitted um, is accurate, comprehensive. What I mean by that is did, did the school take advantage of all those processes the NCA allows, whether it's adjustments or uh, delayed graduation points and so on and so forth. So is the school doing what they should have been doing? And then if not, what are some processes that we can help you put in place so when the money does start coming from this revenue distribution, you're in the best position possible? So we're going to look back. That's kind of the first thing. The second thing we're going to do is we are going to do an analysis of who's actually um, struggling when it comes to your school. So what we do is we take information from the uh, eligibility center, we overlay that with APR outcomes, we try to look and see, you know, what, what type of student might struggle, when do they struggle, when, when are we seeing issues, and then can we help you, you know, create policy uh, procedures to try to address that. So, for example, uh, we worked with a school that had a lot of um, issues with international students coming in, and they were required to do a lot of remedial coursework. Um, it was putting them behind when it came to hitting a 24-hour mark uh, after the freshman year. So you end up sitting down, going through that data, sitting down with the provost, going through all that information. So we're looking at who's causing, um, you know, headaches. How do we then talk about recruiting in that context? Uh, how do we talk about staffing in that context? So if you're bringing in, you know, a certain number of students who fall under what we now consider to be at risk looking at your data, how do we then address that? And then kind of the third piece of what we do when we're, whenever we engage with a school is we, we come to campus. And the reason we do that is kind of twofold. One is we are going to uh, want to just make all of your staff and coaches aware of what's happening. So coaches, their primary job function is to focus on their sport, right? They're going to focus on their sport, whether that's the academic side or the athletic side. Uh, and we want to make them aware of the role they can play in helping a school achieve uh, one of these benchmarks, revenue distribution, and ultimately earning, you know, the, the athletic department up to half a million dollars per year. So how do coaches play a role in that? How do staff play a role in that? Um, so we'll sit down with coaches, talk about the role they can play, different things they might be able to do to help um, increase their numbers. And then we'll also sit down with uh, at the uh, administration and talk about what roles they can play, what steps they could take policy-wise, procedure-wise, to, to get those numbers up um, and try to hit those benchmarks. And then what we do is when we have to meet with a school, uh, the school is going to get a very comprehensive report that will cover essentially all three of those items. So what we did in our research over the last few years, what did we see, what then the data analysis, and then the summary of what we saw when we were on campus, what are some pain points and things you can be doing on your campus to either immediately or long-term um, improve your data uh, numbers. So when we're looking at this process and people are learning more about the, you know, the academic revenue distribution process uh, and when money starts coming into the system, I do think it's going to be important for the membership to learn more about what this is. So can you provide a quick overview of the new academic-based revenue distribution model? Sure. And, and uh, before I even jump in, I will say that I thought that, that Carrie Ledger, who you had on a, a few weeks ago, did, did an excellent job. So I will... Um, Hopefully I'll get everything, but I'll refer people back to her as well because she, she did a great job of explaining it as, uh, as she always does. 
so so a couple years ago, the the NCAA board of directors uh, decided they wanted to change how revenue is distributed to uh, two members of Division One based on some new money coming into the CBS Turner uh, television contract. And as of now, that money is generally distributed, uh, units are distributed based on how your conference does in the men's basketball tournament. So if you're kind of a one-bid conference that generally a 14 to 16 seed, your likelihood of receiving extra units is pretty low. Well, any starting uh, next year, any new money coming from that contract is going to be distributed to uh, schools based on hitting one of three academic benchmarks. And I really have to applaud the, the Division I uh, Board of Directors and, and the working group who worked on this and the metrics that they came up with. So there's three different ways a school can hit, hit these. They're, they're, um, you, could, you can hit one, two, or three. You don't get any bonus for hitting all three, uh, but you have to hit one of these three benchmarks, and it's a single-year um, rate. So the first uh, benchmark a school can hit is an average of a 985 APR for all its teams. Um, so the way they're going to do that, um, kind of a little peculiar math, but it's, it's what we're, we're going to work with here, is uh, you're going to take all of your team's single-year scores, so actually starting next academic year, 2018-19, take all of your team's individual single-year scores, add those up, and divide by the number of teams you have. Um, so what that's going to do is put some, some stress on some smaller roster sports um, who, when they lose an APR point, uh, means a little bit more off of 1,000 uh, than, let's say, a football team. But that's going to be the, the first benchmark of 985 single-year APR. The second benchmark you can hit to earn a distribution is going to be having a 90% or higher uh, graduation success rate, uh, which is the NCAA's graduation rate. It's a more forgiving rate in that it allows uh, the transfer leaves your school. Uh, they don't necessarily hurt you as long as they leave eligible. And then the third uh, way you can hit this number is if your federal graduation rate for your student-athletes is uh, 13% higher than your student body graduation rate. And by adding that third prong, uh, the NCA really opened up this distribution, uh, potential distribution to a lot more schools that, that maybe aren't necessarily going to hit those APR and GSR numbers, but they're doing a good job by their student-athletes when you compare uh, how, how the student body uh, is doing at their school when it comes to the federal graduation rate. The only issue with the federal graduation rate, Wes, is that that does not take transfers into account, meaning if a student enrolls in your school as a freshman uh, on scholarship, leaves after their freshman year with a 4.0 and uh, transfers to an Ivy League school, uh, does not matter. They're considered to be a dropout for that fed rate purpose, so it's not very forgiving. And so those would be the three benchmarks schools need to hit. Uh, we're looking at uh, the NCA is projecting somewhere between forty-five and fifty thousand uh, dollars a school would earn um, in the spring of 2020 is when, when the first distribution will occur. Um, it'd be around forty-five, fifty thousand dollars, depending on how many schools earn the distribution that year. But it quickly rises up over a five, six-year period to uh, where you would look—you'll be looking at it as, as a school being able to earn upwards of, of half a million dollars uh, per year by hitting one of those three benchmarks. So it's a big change. Uh, I think it's going to put a lot of focus, frankly, on your, on your uh, listeners, um, and, you know, the folks who are, who are in the trenches uh, doing the academic support, academic advising work. Um, and so it's going to put a lot of stress on, on those folks 
to, to try to hit those numbers. Um, but that's generally what we look what we're looking at. Now, and I would, for the membership, I'd like to pause here for one second and please take a second and listen to what I'm saying on this. So at FIU, where I currently work, uh, we don't have the academic budget that most Power Five schools do. Uh, we work with what we have, and I think um, we just did a podcast the other day with Denise Poole, uh, and some of the great things that she talked about is being at a smaller school and the initiatives that you can accomplish and some of the things that are out there. But when I look at something like Forward Progress, one of the things that I would equate it to is that when you do your taxes, you can go online and submit your own taxes, your H&R block, and, and you figure out the best that you can. You submit it, but you might be leaving money on the table. You can go out and pay for a tax audit to come in and help you file your taxes to so where they can really go in and break everything down and tell you where your allowances are and how you can get more money back. The way that we're looking at this at Ford International is we have to determine every way we possibly can to get into this pool and make sure that we sustain and stay in this pool because that $50,000 pool will mean so much to our student-athletes and the initiatives that we can complete. And then obviously looking ahead, when you start looking at $500,000, the, the steps and the initiatives and the programming that we can complete to make our student lives better, to make our programming better, to have an impact on our students is substantial. So, you know, it's something to where you really have to be careful on what you're looking at with this process on are you leaving money on the table. And what John said a couple of questions back, that first step that they take where they look back and they really do a comprehensive deep dive on the work that you've submitted in terms of APR points. Was there a transfer out there that you forgot to look into? Was there a point that we could have received that could help you get back into the money? Uh, it's just something to where – this is such a valuable resource and will pay off in the long run for all the universities that are out there. The more that you can look into your numbers and your processes, the more uh, I would encourage you to do so. But, John, what are some strategies that people can employ to meet the APR benchmarks? Thanks for that, and I appreciate your thoughts. I think um, before I jump into that, one thing that we like to say is that even the, the best compliance or academic person who's doing the APR usually spends maybe one or two weeks a year working on it. Um, if, if that's their responsibility on campus and what we're able to bring when we do those reviews is that um, this is what we spend 365 days a year uh, thinking about. And so there's, there may be things that you think you've got under control, but you don't even know uh, you might be missing, such as that transfer like you referenced. So some things that we I wanted to hit on some strategies that, that schools can employ so I can provide some value to your, to your listeners here, Wes. Um, there's a few things I'll mention, and then I'm happy to go in whatever direction um, if you have any questions about them. First first is financial aid. Um, and, and you have to be thinking, well, what does financial aid have to do with APR? Um, and, and frankly, it has pretty much everything to do with APR. Um, so I'm sure most of your listeners know, but to, to be in the APR cohort, to mean, meaning to, to, to have an impact on the APR score, uh, a student has to be on athletics aid. So your walk-ons, your, your true walk-ons are not receiving any athletics aid, are not counted as part of your APR. Well, if you have uh, any student-athletes that are really good students um, that uh, are not what I would call a, a flight risk for APR retention purposes, what we encourage a lot of schools to do is make sure you have those students on scholarship. So I'll, I'll give you a, a, a prime example. I was working with a school a couple months ago, Wes, that had a um, had a team literally with with, um, with three students on scholarship. It was not a team that they were obviously particularly well-funded. They were using that team as a uh, more of an enrollment driver, larger roster sport. 
Well, they had one student that was an 0 for 2 after the fall, meaning they were ineligible and non-retained. So what they were looking at right there, they had, even if the other two people on that team were perfect, I don't want to get too deep into math on a uh, uh, for the morning podcast, but basically what they were looking at is 8 out of 10, meaning if they had two students who were 4 for 4 that year and they had one student who was 0 for 2, with just those three students on scholarship and that sport, they were 8 for 10, meaning they were going to have an 800 single-year APR. That's okay this year. I mean, you don't want it to happen. It doesn't set a good precedent. It puts you, you know, behind the eight ball when it comes to meeting uh, 930 and those penalty benchmarks. But thinking ahead, if you have an 800 among your sports scores for your single-year APRs, your odds of hitting the 985 average are no, they're, they're nil. Like you're just not going to hit 985 because you have an 800 weighing you down like an anchor. And so what we did, we worked with the school. They added um, another six students to book scholarships. Um, they did that using what the NCAA now allows you to do, which is retroactive financial aid. They actually added them in the spring that made the aid retroactive to the fall. I will say the caveat to that is you have to make sure that that's uh, allowable on your campus, but the NCAA uh, does allow that. And so what they ended up doing is by adding students that were good students already, that were giving up their all in practice, by adding them to small amounts of scholarship, ended up, you know, equaling maybe three or $4,000, which is sure it's a decent chunk of change, but you don't have to give them full scholarships to make them any part of the APR. They went from 800 to about a 940 just by adding students. And when that to say that happens in two years or next year even, and you're, you're thinking about hitting the, the APR uh, benchmark of 985, those are strategies you're going to need to be thinking about to make sure that we don't have a small roster team dragging us down. So adding students to financial aid, um, again, if they are the right students, you have it in your budget. Obviously, if you're a team that's a headcount sport and you've given out all your scholarships, you can't do it. But for our equivalency sports that have it in their budget, um, it's a really uh, easy way to uh, get your numbers up a little bit higher when you think about that 985 average. And there's one kind of tangible uh, thing you can be doing. Uh, a second uh, strategy we work with a lot of schools on, Wes, and, and uh, we've, we've had great success with is using the delayed graduation point program. And so many of your listeners, I'm sure, are aware, but I'll quickly kind of go over uh, how it works. Basically, it means if you, if any student uh, lost an APR point the last semester they were um, in the APR cohort, so whether they, they uh, lost a retention point or an eligibility point in the last semester they're in the APR, if they come back to your school, so that's the your school, if they come back to your school and graduate, you get an extra APR point added to your score in that year they graduate. So, uh, for example, there, there's two different kinds of, of delayed grad points. You've got the ones who, who are fairly close to graduation, uh, leave with maybe three or 10 or 15 hours a semester or so to finish for whatever reason. They're going to start a family. Um, they're going to pursue other professional interests, whatever it is, and they don't finish. You bring those students back. Um, you can pay for them. They're not going to be part of your APR. You can pay for them to come back, or you can use the NCA's uh, degree completion program. You bring those students back. They graduate. They can help you offset lost points in that current year. So, for example, let's say you have a men's basketball team. You have one student, uh, current student athlete who's going to be uh, lose your retention point. 
that during that same academic year you bring back a former men's basketball student athlete to graduate. Assuming that one uh, student who leaves is the only lost point, you, you will still end up having a 1,000 APR because the, the delayed grad point offsets the other one. So it's, it's a great way to raise your APR, but it's also a great way to help people. Um, we, we've had so many great success stories of people coming back and earning their degrees um, and being able to take that next step in their professional life. The other type of student athlete that, that fits under the delayed graduation point, and this is the one that usually kind of flies under the radar, if you will, Wes, is the student who, let's say, they come in on a small amount of scholarship as a freshman. They get there and they kind of crash and burn. Um, they're not able to handle the, the balance of academics, athletics, social life, and they um, say to, to the coach, say, coach, I'm not going to be able to do this. I want to stay in school. I really enjoy being here, but I am going to uh, you know, not be on the team anymore. Well, that student athlete ends up uh, losing the eligibility point in their freshman year. Let's say they have below 1.8 GPA. Four years later, they graduate from your school. They can also earn you a delayed graduation point. They've been flying under the radar. They haven't stepped into your uh, student athlete academic center uh, for, for four years, but they graduate, you can also get those points. So we help schools track on those, come up with lists, come up with a kind of a triage model to bringing those students back. And then the, the, the third one I'll mention um, is APR adjustments. People are probably familiar with APR adjustments. They're, they're kind of the, the waiver uh, for individual student athlete situations. But I really encourage people to, to take advantage of the APR adjustment process. And what that is, Wes, is you, as a school, have an opportunity to submit a request to the NCAA to get a, a lost APR point back. And, um, frankly, schools didn't take advantage of this. If you were a, I don't know, I'll, I'll use women's soccer as an example. If you're a women's soccer program that's been putting up 990s and 980s every year um, in your APR scores, the motivation for you to go after and spend the time on APR adjustment was fairly minimal. You, you weren't anywhere near penalty uh, benchmark territory. But now when we start talking about having a 985 average, you're going to need a lot of teams to be at 1,000. And so we want to make sure we're, we're kind of turning over every rock. What we're seeing the most with APR adjustments, Wes, is, um, is health issues. The way an APR adjustment essentially works is if a student loses an APR point, whether eligibility or retention, for something that's considered to be outside of their control, um, you can get that point back from the NCAA. You have to provide documentation to them. Uh, there's an APR adjustment directive where there's specific language about what would count as outside of your control and what would not. But we're seeing a lot of, for example, was is students who are uh, not coming back to school due to health issues. Mental health being kind of more predominant than, than physical, but either one uh, would work. If you have a student who, you know, you think they're coming back in the fall, you think, frankly, in a month they're going to show up on your campus, and you get a, your coach gets a call on August 1st saying, um, hey, coach, I've been diagnosed with, with a bipolar disorder, and my doctor has told me it's not in my best interest to attend college this semester. You don't have to lose that APR point. Like I said in the, in the past, if you were a team that had high APR scores, you weren't tracking down those points. You were going to kind of absorb that lost point because it was not, a, you know, a, in the big scheme of things, not a big deal when it came to your, your numbers. Now, with the 985, the potential for, for half a million dollars, you'll be really be working hard to track down that information. So submitting APR adjustments, being aware of those situations is 
really important. The other two things I'll say kind of at the end uh, here to other strategies you could do that kind of tie together. One is doing that data analysis that I talked about, is uh, just looking at where your weak points are, your processes, which can be a tough thing to do. And so what I recommend, frankly, and this is probably self-serving, but I think uh, it's important is to get someone to do an outside review for you. So to look at your process, look at your policies, look at um, your data, and figure out where, where your pain points might be. That could even be someone who's an internal auditor on campus. Um, they may not bring that same level of experience, but just having another set of eyes. Uh, look at what you're doing and make sure that you're taking advantage of every possible thing. Because when it comes down to it, if in five years, or even in one year when it's $50,000, or in five years when it's half a million dollars, if there are things you could be doing that you're not, um, it's going to be very hard to defend that. And, and there's going to be, you know, a president will say, how come we're not earning this academic-based money? And so you want to make sure you're doing everything you possibly can. So getting another set of eyes to look at your process, make sure you are, uh, frankly, doing it now in 2018 is a lot better than doing it in 2024. And, John, I think you make some really good points here. And, A, thank you for being here and for sharing all this information for our listeners. Uh, but, B, for the membership, for those listening to this, think about your day. Just think about all the things that go into your day, whether it's coaches' meetings, meetings with student athletes, meetings with recruits. The last thing that's on our agenda is did that women's soccer player, did that tennis player, did that, you know, hockey player, did they leave eligible? You know, and I know we track eligibility so closely, but when you, when John is absolutely right, when you have a 990 consistently, that one player that leaves might not trigger, you know, a, a conversation with the AD or the coach because they can just, you know, bounce back from it so easily. But if that is the deciding factor down the road into you getting into this $50,000 or the $500,000, I think John's absolutely right. That's going to be a really hard conversation between you and the administration or your administration and your president. So the more that we can refine our practices and really look at these numbers, the better off we're going to be. Uh, John, as a follow-up, do you have any strategies that people can have great benchmarks? Sure, and, and, and we do. And what I'll say is that the, the APR is a lot more uh, malleable. I mean, you, you can do a lot more things with the APR, like adjustments and delayed graduation points. But two of the three benchmarks are grad rate-based. Um, what I tell people is if you, if you get high APRs, it's generally going, generally going to predict high grad rates, but there are still things you could be doing to, to make sure your grad rate data is where it needs to be. Um, the first I'll say is, is the grad rate data oftentimes is going to be compiled and even sometimes submitted by someone who does not work in athletics. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, from, from a best practice perspective, it could be a good thing. But what that means is you may have people who are submitting the grad rate data that don't understand um, as well as they should some of the terminology. So, for example, with the graduation success rate, the NCAA's rate, the key for, for many things is a student left eligible. Well, someone who's working in institutional research, for example, may not understand the nuances of that. So what I say most importantly with graduates is if you are the person who does, does the APR, um, but you have someone outside of your shop doing, it, doing the graduate data, usually institutional research, just making sure you get another set of eyes on that, making sure that, that what's being submitted um, is accurate, the right people are in the cohorts. Uh, so, for example, we worked with a school that was putting every single student athlete, regardless of financial aid, 
into the graduation rate cohort. And I'm sure your listeners know that just like the APR, the grad rates are triggered by financial aid. And so that student has to be on financial aid their first semester at your school. And so we went back and ended up not being a big deal as far as changing the numbers. It did bring it, bring it down a little bit. Um, but just want to make sure that those sorts of things aren't happening if the people submitting and collecting the data are outside your, your, your kind of your sphere. Um, another thing that we encourage people to do is, um, is outcome analysis. Same thing. You're looking at what type of students are struggling uh, when it comes to graduation rate, not just APR. And graduation rates are triggered by getting aid your first semester you're at the school. Um, so thinking twice perhaps about um, that really at-risk student-athlete who you're going to give a little bit of athletics aid to, maybe you wait a semester, you wait a, wait a year to see how that student handles college academics, and then, and then you uh, give them a scholarship their sophomore year, they're not a risk then to your graduation rate data. And what we're encouraging coaches to do a lot when we have these conversations is just think about the impact of what you're doing. Um, doesn't mean that students will not uh, be non-renewed. Doesn't mean that um, you know these things will stop happening. But with graduation rates, you want to be thinking about what's the impact of every decision I'm making from the recruiting of a student athlete. Is that student athlete going to be successful at the school? Can they be? How are they going to be successful? So maybe we have a great recruit um, who, who is uh, a uh, risk academically. What resources are we going to, to um, bring towards him early on in his career? What kind of summer bridge are we going to do? What kind of uh, remediation are we going to do? Just having those conversations so you're putting those student athletes in the best possible position to graduate and or leave eligible from your school. Frankly, Wes, these are things that your members are doing. Right? These are things that, that you're doing not because you want to hit a 985 or 90% graduation success rate, because it's your job to support as best you can those student athletes that are, that are uh, coming into your campuses. But I think now that we have uh, added uh, incentive perhaps uh, in, in the financial means to do it, to be extra, extra focused on what type of students are we bringing in, how are we supporting them, and what decisions do we make throughout their five years on our campus, four or five years on our campus, to make sure they do graduate? Um, so there's little things you can do kind of nibbling at the edges when it comes to grad rates. What I always tell people is focus on that APR. Get the APR as high as you can because that's going to get high APRs and you're just predicting high grad rates. Focus on that APR and, and the good things will follow. As tradition with our podcast and hopefully something that we continue forever, we always try and end on a fun question to try and keep the membership engaged and enthusiastic about what we're always going to try and finish with. So, John, as someone who works very closely with the NCAA, as well as with its member institutions, if I made you president of the NCAA for a day, what would you do and why? Oh, gosh. All right. Um, president of the NCAA for a day. And I, would I have universal power, Wes? Universal. Okay. I would want to bring the football playoffs underneath the NCAA's umbrella because um, I think we see, for example, we're talking about revenue, dis revenue distribution and the way that is going to help, frankly, some of our uh, lowest resource Division One schools get large chunks of money. And that only that's only money that comes from the men's basketball uh, tournament championship. So what I would love to see is 
the football championship rolled into the NCAA umbrella instead of uh, through through the uh, uh, the FBS conferences, and some of that money to get shared uh, with uh, with the membership, uh, you know, with with our you know FCS schools and so on. So that would be the first thing I'd, I'd accomplish before lunch. Uh, <laughs> the second is I would love to uh, do a PR campaign. As someone who's worked, um, uh, obviously, I've spent eight years working in Indianapolis uh, in various capacities and then have spent uh, a great deal of time visiting campuses over the last several years, I think there's a misunderstanding of, of how schools can play a role in the NCAA, um, both on campus and even to a greater extent with the public, that it is a member uh, membership-led association. Um, and so I want, would love to start a PR campaign about kind of we are the NCAA and have the member institutions talk about the role they can play um, in, in fashioning policy uh, going forward. So those would be the two things I would have on the top of my agenda. Hey, NCAA, we know you're listening to the podcast. You might want to listen to John. So, I made them as unrealistic as possible, right? But uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, To close out, I'd really like to thank you, John, for being on the podcast today, especially knowing how busy your schedule is and all the travel you've got going on. Uh, I'd like to give you a couple of seconds uh, to talk about your program, how people can follow you or find you online, uh, to give any shout-outs that you might want to. Thanks, Wes. I appreciate that. Um, so we, we are active on Twitter. Uh, we're at, at ForwardProgAC. Uh, we're also, our website is uh, ForwardProgressAC.com. Um, and, and really what I would, you know, for whoever's listening, whether you're, you're at the campus, conference, NCAA level, um, you know, take a look at what uh, we have up on our Twitter, on our website, um, but also, you know, talk to your colleagues. We've now worked with, with so many institutions. I think that's really our best means of marketing is just talking to folks out there. Uh, we've been lucky enough over the last year, West, to, to sign three conference-wide agreements, uh, which has been great. Um, helps us, obviously, uh, to work with a uh, large number of schools, but also helps bring costs down. Um, when we signed agreements, we worked with the ASUN Conference, uh, the Horizon League, and the Northeast Conference to visit um, the vast majority of their schools. And so, um, you know, take a look at, uh, talk to your, your colleagues who work, work at those schools to get a sense of what is it that, that John and his folks do? Is it valuable? Uh, I, I'm pretty sure they, folks would say it is. Um, but if anyone wants to reach me directly, too, my, uh, my email is john. Uh, J-O-H-N at forwardprogressac.com. And uh, I even throw my phone number out here. It's 303-681-2210. And what I tell people is they have a, they have want to call and have one quick APR question, something they just want to run by me, the clock is not ticking. So if people, you know, the, uh, I'm not running a bill, so if you want to just run something by me, I'm happy to kind of, you know, give folks some direction um, if they have a question. So, Anytime, shoot me an email, give me a call, and um, be happy to talk to folks. And for all of our members, obviously, John, thank you so much for listening to your contact information. I think this is going to be one of the most valuable resources we have moving forward, and for John to volunteer his time, I think that is incredible. Uh, so for the listeners of the podcast, if you have questions, not only can you reach out to John, but if you want to, hashtag forward progress on Twitter, post questions, if we get enough questions, we'll actually get John back on the podcast, if we can get him to agree to it, uh, and do a second session where we can do answers, or questions and answers from the membership directly to John. John, what do you think about that? 
Well, that, that sounds great. I'd be really happy to do it. What I really want to do is provide that value to your to your members. So whatever I can do to provide that value and that's you know specific questions, I'd be happy to do it. That's why he's the best in the business. You can find more information about Forward Progress Consulting on my blog at livemoss.blog. And for the latest updates, please don't hesitate to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Westie Moss. Thank you guys for listening. John, thank you for being here. And as always, Live Moss.